right, well, let's jump right into this tonight. Genesis is where we'll be. And uh, this is a shorter of the dispensations, but as we've been going through this, we've been talking about rightly dividing the word of truth. And, um, and I've been there, I've found myself kind of, kind of uh, struggling as I study the scriptures, and I say, why, why is it we apply certain things of the Bible and not apply other things, and trying to, trying to figure this out, and I just, I really believe if we don't learn how to rightly divide the word of truth, uh, rightly divide the scriptures, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. And uh, so what I want to do is kind of give the uh, uh, last couple weeks and the next few weeks kind of an overview of, uh, of this approach to Scripture, this hermeneutic is what we'll call it. It's a, that's a, a key or a, a way of studying the Bible uh, as we approach this, the hermeneutic of dispensationalism, and that is how God interacts or deals with mankind in different eras. How many of you would agree that there are different times where God expects different things from man? And, uh, um, and so di- figuring out where those fit in, in God's timetable, and where we fit in to God's plan. By the way, the, the, the starting place is not us, okay? The starting place is God, and the starting place is God's plan. What is God doing? Then how do I fit in with God's plan? Uh, what we tend to look at it as is, is uh, how does God fit into my plan, or what's God doing for me? And, uh, and unfortunately... The Bible wasn't written in that way, okay? But that's how a lot of people look at it. And so, it's all, the Bible also is not a novel, all right? It's the Word of God. And, uh, and we, uh, we would do well to study it. So, we study to show ourselves approved unto who? Unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, which means it's going to take a little bit of work. A little bit of work. Now, you don't have to call these dispensations by these titles, and uh, you might even come up with more. You might come up with less. But the key is, as we study the scriptures, uh, there are some clear changes that take place, and we want to look at those and say, what, uh, what are some principles? And here's what we're going to ask you with each session. What are, princi- what are some things that are distinct for that era? What are some things that carry over and are true for all time? Uh, and what things maybe end with that dispensation or that era? And so we'll just kind of look at that a little bit tonight. And so this one we're going to talk. We're going to call dispensation of conscience. Um, of course, this is uh, right after the fall in Genesis three. Um, we have that interaction with the serpent. Why don't we go ahead and read that in Genesis three and verse number one? Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, when we talk about hermeneutics. There are a couple things that we can apply, and again, when I say hermeneutics, that's the, really the art of studying the scriptures. Uh, there are tools we use as we approach the scriptures. One of those tools is the law of first mention. Here we have the very first mention of the devil. And can I tell you something? He's been at this thing for a long time. We have a very old adversary, but he's not very smart. Now, he's cunning, but he's not very smart, and what I, what I mean by that is this. What we find him doing in Genesis 3, we find him still doing today. And so we get a great indication of what the devil's up to by his first appearance. So what does he say? First thing he does, have us question the word of God. What did he say there? Uh, He said, yea, hath God said. Did God really say that? What's going on today? Is this really God's word? Do we really have a Bible? Can we really depend on that? Uh, Is there really a God, you know, and... uh, uh, much of society today is basically saying Christianity is so outdated that we really can't move forward as a society until we exterminate Christianity. I mean, there's talk like that out there. Okay? Has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. Now we're going to get an indication of what men tend to do or people tend to do. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, we didn't go back and read uh, all of chapter 1 and 2, but did God say anything about touching it as far as recorded in Scripture? No. God didn't say anything about touching it. So what's happened now? Now man was tempted to add to it. First we question it, then we add to it or change it or put words in God's mouth. Here's what God meant to say. Be careful of that, by the way. You really think you're so much smarter than God to say, here's what he meant to say. Or, or smarter than the translators. 
that, that always tickles me. Like, like, like some of these translators were so brilliant. I mean, they had minds like you wouldn't believe, and they're educated. And for me to just sit down with a strong concordance and say, what they should have said was this, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty arrogant. All right? That's not to say these guys are infallible. Uh, uh, they were men, but, uh, but they were brilliant men. And, uh, and as I look at that, I have to ask myself, maybe why did they choose that word? Maybe that's a better way of approaching it, which I do often. When, I, when I'm looking at the Greek, I ask myself, why did they go with that word? And many times you're going to get insight, you know, well, here's what they were thinking in the, in, the, in the day of the translation and what that word meant at the time and various things. But anyways, uh, Eve said, uh, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Question the word of God, change the word of God, deny the word of God. You shall not surely die. You say, what are you talking about the word of God? Hath God said? That's the word of God. Hath God said? So then it says this, God, for God, verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband, now get this, with her, and he did eat. Where was Adam? He was standing right there. I've heard, I can tell you how many sermons I've heard. Adam should not have left his wife out of his sight because that's when she got tempted. And, and hold on a second. Adam was sitting right there and he never piped in. And uh, gives to Adam with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree where I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, <laughs> The woman that thou gavest to me, to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Now keep in mind, Adam and Eve, they weren't very old yet. They're learning some little kid lessons, aren't they? They're blaming others and they're not wanting to get caught and they're hiding themselves. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this thing, or done this, Thou art cursed above all the cattle, and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy, and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to the husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and has eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth in thee, uh, to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou also, or shalt thou return. And uh, let's pray as we jump into this. Lord, I do pray that you help us tonight as we consider some of these things. I pray that you uh, guide us through your word, help us to, to handle it properly, to handle it wisely, and, uh, and to question assumptions we may have picked up along the way, and really uh, come back to what does the Bible say? Has God said? And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd uh, bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. What, a, what an interesting encounter. Of course, we're all very familiar, I, I believe, with the story of Adam and Eve in the fall. And, uh, and by the way, have you heard the phrase, happy wife, happy life? Adam believed that too. Just saying, look where it got us. Um, <clears throat> I love you, dear. 
No, but, uh, but what we have now is uh, what we're going to call coming into the dispensation of conscience. And, and uh, what had taken place now is prior, what was the last con- dispensation? Remember what we talked about, the very first one? Innocence. And that's when Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. Sin had not come into the world yet. They were uh, naked and they were unashamed. And uh, everything was wonderful. And then sin comes in. And with sin comes separation. So why do we call this the dispensation of conscience? And by the way, the Bible doesn't say this is the dispensation of conscience, unless you have a school-filled Bible. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, so you can kind of call it whatever you want. But we call it conscience because... Uh, uh, the word conscience is a compound word. Con means with, science, knowledge, with knowledge. And what did they do? They took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and mankind, at the, uh, now at this point, lives off science. You say, well, what's science? Science, you, take, you create a hypothesis, right? You test that hypothesis. It becomes a theory. The theory becomes repeatable. It may, might even turn into a law. And, and what it is It's experience-based. It's testing things. It's figuring things out. At this point, there really is no divine revelation as far as what we have written down in Scripture. Uh, they're going to live off of conscience for a, few, uh, for a few chapters. Now, this was several generations will take place, but as far as in the written Word of God, this is a very short dispensation. Um, science, uh, as one uh, dictionary put it, the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experience. Let's just focus in on that. Observation and experience. Eve saw the fruit, and then she experienced it. What happened? Her eyes were open. All right, now we've entered into this. Now from, from, from here on out, what has mankind learned from? Observation and experience. You can tell your children all day long, don't touch that hot stove, it'll burn you. But at some point, they've got to have some observation and experience. They're going to learn some things. And, um, and so that's what we're now brought into. Experience is what you get, by the way, when things don't go your way. Well, how did that go? Well, it was an experience. <laughs> okay? Uh, I didn't expect that. That's why the Bible talks about glory and tribulation. Because, uh, uh, you know, tribulation work is patience and patience experience. When things don't really go exactly how we want, we get, get experience. We, we learn some things. And so Adam and Eve got some experience here, but uh, they're learning some things. The first time uh, since creation, man now has experimented with good and evil. So now they've experimented it. God gave them one rule. What was the rule? Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right? They broke the rule. So now they've learned a lesson. It's not good to, eat of the, uh, to break the rules. So they never had a problem with breaking rules again, right? No. For by one man, sin entered into the world. And death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have what? Sin. You see, uh, ever since then, we still haven't learned the lesson. And we still sin. And we still break the rules. It's in our nature, as we sang tonight. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And Adam and Eve, in essence, God wasn't enough for them. They had to experiment. They had to, 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 to see things for themselves. <clears throat> so, where do we find this dispensation? We just read it. It's really Genesis 3 through, uh, through 8. Um, within there, we have, of course, the birth of Cain in this dispensation. Uh, the birth of Abel. We have the death of, of Abel. Cain kills his brother. We have the first murder. We have uh, genealogies. We have the birth of Seth. And then uh, from Seth and his genealogy and his lineage, we come all the way down to, Mo- to, to Noah. rather. And then uh, after Noah, we have the flood, which we'll pick up next week. Um, but that's, that's some of the, the, the major things in there. Uh, what is fundamentally new? What is the fundamentally new revelation as we look at this dispensation? Remember, to have a new dispensation, there needs to be some, some fundamentally new revelation that changes everything, changes the way God interacts, and changes what's expected. And there, there are several things. So here's some fundamentally new things. First of all, in uh, Genesis 3, verse 7, the Bible says they knew they were naked. Their eyes were open, and the first, thing, first analysis that is made is they were naked. Uh, this revelation brought fear, shame, and blame into the human experience. Now think about this. The big one there, uh, which we'll talk about the things that carry over, is this thing of shame. Every one of us, when we're caught in sin, there's shame that follows. And then what did Adam and Eve do? What was the first thing that they did when they realized they were naked? 
They tried to cover themselves, right? And so what did they do? Tried to hide the shame. And that's what man does in our, in, in our shame and in our guilt. We try to put fig, fig leaves together and hide behind it. We try, to, we try to cover the shame somehow. It's amazing how the Bible analyzes it. Uh, the Bible says that they made themselves aprons. Now, I don't know if it was an apron like we'd call an apron today, but the, the, the point is it didn't cover completely. Does an apron cover completely? All right. Uh, the best of an apron is like a hospital gown. Right? It doesn't quite come together in the back. <laughs> it doesn't cover completely. So then the Bible says that God made them coats of skin. You see, in our flesh and in our efforts, we try to sew fig leaves together to cover up the shame, cover up the nakedness. It's not enough. And we start to get a glimpse of some things here in, in, uh, in this uh, dispensation that, that, that there's going to be a covering. There needs to be a covering to cover that shame. So what happens? An animal's killed. Where did the skin come from, right? It had to come from an animal. And, uh, and, as, and as recorded in the scripture, that, that the indication is the first death. The first sin led to the first death. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so we started to get some indications of some things. But, uh, uh, but with there, we have fear, shame, and blame into the, into the human experience. What do we do today? We, uh, uh, when we're in trouble and we've done wrong, what do we do? We fear. There's shame. And then what do we try to do? We try to pin it on somebody else. Right? And, and it's so natural. Folks, us adults, we still struggle with it, right? We don't understand. <laughs> this woman you gave to me, <laughs> these ch- your children, <laughs> okay? <laughs> we, we blame it wherever we can, right? And, um, uh, and, and so, so that's, uh, that's a new revelation. Things were fine. There was no reason for blame. There was no reason for fear before. They were just out in the open, having a great old time. Then we have the curse. Um... God lays out the curse, as we just read, and the, the, he, first of all, cursed the serpent. He cursed the created order, right? There's now going to be thorns, and, and, uh, and, and, and man's going to have to actually work the sweat of his brow. And then, uh, uh, and then all mankind was cursed. Of course, uh, women and childbearing and, uh, and all those things were laid out. And then, I love uh, verse number 15, the promise of a Redeemer. This verse has a very fun name. The verse is called the Proto-Evangelum, which means the very first uh, glimpse of the gospel, of the good news. We have a wonderful promise right in the midst of this. Now think about this. God made everything, said it was very good. He gives them one rule. One rule. Can you just see God? You had one rule. But by the way, they had to have a prohibition. They had to prove their love to God. They had to have a choice. You see. And amidst all that, as that had to have broken God's heart, had to have let him down, he gives this wonderful promise, verse number 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, talking about the serpent, and between thy seed, now get this, and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I have there in your notes, this is the most fundamental prophecy of all the Bible. This kicks it off, folks. This, this, this kicks off everything now that is pointing towards Jesus Christ, everything towards, towards the culmination of God's plan. Remember we talked about, uh, when we look at Scripture, we don't first of all look at how God is either saving or sanctifying, but rather we look at how is God redeeming His plan and His purpose. A big part of God's plan and His purpose is the Redeemer. A big part of His plan and His purpose is is, is Christ and Him sending His Son, and we would jump over to Revelation, and we have the, the scrolls, if you would, the deeds to the earth, and who is worthy to open the scrolls? And, and, uh, and John talks about how you know, he was panicking, and you know, no one, who, can, who can open the scrolls? And then, and then the Lamb. The Lamb. There's one that is worthy. And he begins opening those scrolls, and, and at the very end of it all, what, is ha- what happens? God, in, uh, through His plan, through His Redeemer, not only had redeemed mankind, but redeemed creation back to God. And we see the ultimate culmination of his plan, but it starts here with this wonderful prophecy. First of all, the promised seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. There's one who can only, only one who can be legitimately called the seed of the woman. By the way, the seed of the woman is singular. By the way, usually when you see the phrase the seed, it's usually referring to the man and his offspring. It's interesting how it says here, the seed of the woman. 
And by the way, uh, even in the Hebrew, it's a singular term. If, if your Bible says the offspring of the woman, I just want to say that's wrong. It's the seed of the woman. It's a very specific prophecy. A very sing- it's a singular word. And, um, and it speaks of the woman's seed. Isaiah 14, uh, 7, 14, uh, of course, that great uh, uh, Christmas prophecy. Um, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Right? Um, what's interesting about that is, uh, is the, the Jews, the, the, the women were looking forward to this seed. In fact, Eve herself, I believe, she thought that those were going to be fulfilled in her lifetime. The, the, the tone in Genesis chapter 5 when, when Seth is born, she says with excitement, God has given me, uh, I'm sorry, um, when, when, when Cain is born, first of all, she says, God has given me a man. You know, that's a, that's a very strange phrase, isn't it? Usually God gives you a, a baby. <laughs> God has given me a man. You know, it sounds like a great verse for a single woman, right? <laughs> God gave me a man. And, uh, and then after that whole uh, debacle with Cain killing Abel, and, and uh, well, that was a letdown. That was a big disappointment. That doesn't sound like fulfillment of the prophecy. And then, of course, Genesis 5, uh, again, she, she conceives and has a son. His name is Seth. But it's all along the way, you know, could this be the son? Could this be the child? Could this be the one? And, and so then you start having all these genealogies, and you say, what is the point of all these genealogies? Now, if I were to write an autobiography, first of all, nobody would buy it. <clears throat> but secondly, I would probably reference like my parents, maybe my grandparents. But I'm probably not going to go through all my genealogy in this book, okay? Unless I'm just looking for pages to cover up. You think, what in the world are all these genealogies about? You know what they're all about? They're all coming back to Gen- uh, Genesis 3.15. And many of them, what are they? They're dead ends of all, all these branches. They're dead ends. And it's this giant funnel paving the way to the son of David, right? You start going through. Son of jo- uh, Joseph, the, the earthly father, if you would. Son of Mary, Jesus Christ. But all those genealogies, you know, all these dead ends, dead ends, dead ends, but God keeps this strand coming all the way down to this promised seed, this fulfillment of this prophecy. In fact, it's kind of interesting. In Daniel 11, the Bible talks about the desire of women. That having this child uh, have, would, would be the desire of women. And so it was a, it was a, a thought in the, in the Jewish woman, the honor that it would be, what if I'm the one that will get the seed? What if I'm the one that has the chosen seed? So when Mary gets that divine announcement that she was chosen, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, right? And, uh, and, that, and that, that holy child that will be born of you, and we have all that language, and and, uh, uh, you know, the, when the angel says, blessed be, be, uh, be thou Mary among women, and all that. Um, in fact, I'm trying to think of the, the phrase here. Let me jump over there. <clears throat> it's an interesting uh, phrase that, that she responds with. I'm trying to remember what it was now. be Luke's gospel. Sorry, I should have had this jotted down. There it is. Uh, so in Luke, <laughs> sorry for that long pause. I, I mentioned this morning about that, that awkward silence, right? Uh, Luke 1, uh, uh, verse number 48, as she's re- recounting the story, it says, uh, For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. What's going on? What was Mary referring to? Was she referring to that from, from here on out everyone's going to pray to her? From here on out we're all going to worship her? No, no, she was referring to this desire of women that Daniel talked about. 
All the nations are now going to call, call, all generations are going to call me blessed. What, what is that about? She was the one, the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, it's not all about her, it's about what? The seed, Christ. That's what it's about, the fulfillment of this. And so, we have this promise, Redeemer. Um, the Bible says that the, the, to bruise, uh, the word there for bruise means to be pressed down upon with force. Uh, the same words used in Job 9.17 where it uses the word, it's translated as the word break. And, uh, and, and let me just say this, when it says uh, one, the heel is going to be bruised, uh, broken, pressed down, but on the other hand, the head's going to be bruised, which would you rather have? You see, one's fatal. And of course, Christ, the Bible describes him in heaven as the lamb as it had been slain. He has the wounds, but guess what? He's victorious. He's triumphant over it. However, there is a defeated foe. And, uh, of course, that is yet to come, but, uh, but that's the fulfillment of this prophecy. And then, so we have the promise, the, the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed. The, bru- uh, the bruised heel is painful, but it's not fatal, whereas the bruised head is fatal. So the next question we ask is, what is fundamentally, or by revelation, true for all time. So, so things that are in this dispensation or this time period that will carry over for all of them. Because remember, we're talking about rightly dividing the word of truth. What are some things that I can see that maybe apply or that I can look at in this time? And what are some things that, 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 uh, that are not, um, they do not carry over? So what carries over? And the first thing we see there is fear, shame, and blame. That's something we still struggle with, right? As soon as our children are caught with stuff, what do they do? They, 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 they try every way to connive their way out of it, from lying to blaming somebody else, blaming the dog. That poor dog never gets to defend himself, all right? <laughs> the dog did it. Well, I can argue that. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we shift the blame. We, we fear. Um, my kids were talking to me about the noises the house will make, makes at night. And, uh, and they started going on and on about, then they saw these shadows and, and, uh, and then she's like, I couldn't sleep anymore. And then, you know, and Sadie's telling me this whole story. Then Jaden's like, uh, that was me outside your door. <laughs> you jerk, I couldn't sleep all night. But, but, but it's a true thing. Why do we fear? Sin. Sin, you see. Uh, in fact, the Bible says that the wicked flee when no man pursueth. They're running. What are they running from? They're, they fear because they made wicked choices. Um, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And there is, there's a very real aspect of when I'm doing right, and I'm walking right, and I'm living in integrity. There's a boldness to that, but still in this life, there, is, there are healthy fears. Did you know that before the next dispensation uh, that, we'll, that we'll look at, man had no problem hanging out with a bear? You know, it wouldn't be that big of a deal to see people wrestle alligators. All right, now it's a big deal if people wrestle alligators. Why? Because that alligator will kill you, <laughs> Okay. But, uh, but uh, you can hang out with a bear, no problem, right? But, but fear came in. There, there are some issues that came in, and we're going to see that revealed in the next dispensation. But, uh, but these are some of those things. Fear, shame, blame. Uh, and then another thing, the promise of Satan's ultimate and total defeat. Question, is Satan ultimately and totally defeated yet? I mean, it is in the sense that God said he will be, so it's a done deal, Right? But he's still wreaking havoc in this world, is he not? You see? And we look to the future when that old serpent, the devil, will be bound for a thousand years and then ultimately cast in the lake of fire. And, um, uh, but, uh, but that's still promised. And so we still hold on to that. Uh, what has changed since this dispensation or what doesn't carry over? This one's interesting. Protection of the murderer has been, has been removed. And, and in this time period, in this dispensation, uh, you guys remember the story of the first murder? Yeah? And uh, what, did, uh, what did Cain say with this curse? Everyone that sees me will slay me, which is kind of a funny thing. I mean, it seems like he can only be slain once. <laughs> so what does God do? He says, nope. In fact, no one's going to touch you. He protects him. What's interesting is Cain's uh, descendant uh, uh, in, uh, in Genesis 4 talks about murdering also. And he got away with murder. And it's not actually until the next dispensation where God gives a, a law that if anybody kills a man by man, his blood shall be shed. It's not until after the flood that God gives that law. So in this time period, um, 
there's a protection uh, of the murderer that actually is taken away. Here's another thing. <clears throat> Worship at, at the altar with a physical sacrifice. Now, there's a lot that we look at here that there's a lot of presumptions that we make, right? Cain and Abel show up. I personally believe they were twins. Um, in Genesis 5, uh, um, the Bible says uh, um, Eve, you know, she was all excited. I've, uh, you know, it says Eve conceived and she says, I, I got a man from the Lord. And then she bore another son. It only mentions conceiving once, but there's two. Um, uh, and, then, and then the Bible talks about, uh, well, let me go ahead and jump over there real quick. Um, and Adam and Eve, uh, chapter 4, Adam, and Eve, uh, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare uh, Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was the till of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Now, um, this doesn't necessarily build a doctrine. This is what I think is taking place. I believe it was a, it was a coming of age of accountability sacrifice. They're now accountable before God, and so uh, uh, if it was the same day, they, they are bringing their sacrifice. Maybe it's their 18th or 20th birthday. I don't know what it is but they're bringing this offering to God. Now, all we can do at this point is infer the information that they have. They did not write down the revelation they had from God. But somewhere in there, God held them accountable for what they did. Would you agree with that statement? God held them accountable for what they did? God respected one sacrifice, rejected another. And it wasn't just the sacrifice. He rejected the person for the wrong sacrifice. And so what we can do is we can infer, maybe they were taught this by their parents, because when God brought them the coat, he killed an animal, and there was a lesson there. We do know that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day, and as we looked at last week, God wrote some things in the stars. The stars were for signs and for seasons, and there was a message in the stars. Maybe God taught him the gospel as written in the stars. I don't know. But I, but I do know there was some measure of accountability so then, um, then, of course, Cain, in rage and jealousy, killed his brother Abel. We have the very first murder. Um, by the way, proving guns don't kill people. It's a heart problem. Right? It's always been a heart problem. And so we have the first murder. And uh, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, but worship here at, at an altar with a physical sacrifice. Why was there a need for this sacrifice? Now, we look at the pattern laid out in Scripture, but we don't see any command given. And the pattern laid out in Scripture is this. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So, so somewhere along the way, God demanded or God required of them a blood sacrifice in this time. Now, no, I want to note something about biblical application. Do not make a doctrine out of a historical example. Just because some act of faith was once done by a person of faith, does not mean that all believers are required to do the same thing. Uh, in other words, you and I aren't going to go and kill a lamb tonight. Okay? Um, we like to kind of pick and choose, by the way, when we start doing that. We make a doctrine out of one thing, but not another. Uh, I talked about, uh, you know, the, the walking with God in the cool of the day, you know. Uh, be careful not to make doctrines out of things. I, I know people that made a doctrine out of uh, marching around Jericho. And uh, uh, I'll tell you a quick little story. Uh, there was a preacher of yesteryear, if I said his name, there were several in the room that would know his name. Um, he was wanting a property for the Bible college they were starting, a big uh, 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 fundamentals Bible college, and, and it was owned by a Catholic school. And he goes to this Catholic uh, 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 institution and says, I want to buy your property. They say, no, we'll never sell to the Baptists. Okay? <laughs> and uh, and uh, he says, well, I believe God wants us to have this. And so they started praying over it, and, uh, and he said he would, uh, every Saturday night, he would march around the perimeter seven times. He would walk across the property barefoot. He'd walk through the, through the, the, the pond there, and, and I guess every semester their, their uh, uh, attendance started dropping. Until eventually they came to him, and they said, you still want to buy it? And, uh, and uh, now, now, you know, God heard his prayer. There's no question about that. But he, uh, you know, he was, he was claiming this Jericho thing, that if I march around it and blow a trumpet, uh, the walls are going to fall down. And uh, we do that, though, don't we? 
Now, that's not, to, that's not to take away prayer and the importance of prayer. And as we looked at this morning, um, uh, that persistence and that importunity in coming to God. But, um, but we need to be careful what we make doctrines about. Um, but this is what God wanted from them. Yes? Uh, you can see me after. No, it was uh, Jack Hiles. Yeah. Um, so we, just, uh, we need to be careful about that. Um, and then next we look at conflicts revealed in this dispensation with today's society. In other words, the things that we learned from that time period, um, problems with the, current, the way society currently is uh, that we'll see in several of these dispensations, things that are revealed uh, in those times that society is a problem with. Uh, our society views man as inherently whole, while the dis- this dispensation reveals man is inherently incomplete because he is outside of a relationship with God and living in a broken world. You see, here's what took place. Paradise was lost. Man fell. Mankind, God made paradise for them. Think about it. I mean, things were perfect. This garden was beautiful. In fact, in fact the Bible in other places describes the you know, perfection uh, as Eden. It says, like the garden, like Eden. It was perfect. It, it blossomed. It was beautiful. There was no sin, and there were no weeds. <laughs> and there was, no, there was no bloodshed, and it was meant to live forever, but somewhere along the way, paradise was lost. And let me just say, mankind in every, uh, in every place, in every generation, has been trying to get it back. Somehow, some way. This is where every religion uh, tries to strive for, in some form or fashion. They're trying to get it back. But the reality is that we, we are broken, and we live in a broken world. Would you agree with that? We are broken from the fall of man. In fact, one, again, that carryover, Romans, uh, Romans 5, by, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. This carried over. Um, so you have psychologists, psychiatrists, they've got their, uh, their DSM. Uh, they got all the codes and, uh, for the variety of mental sicknesses. And what they do is they go to this thing and they have these series of symptoms. And if you fall in line with certain symptoms, they'll say, here is your mental illness. All right? And, uh, and the idea is this, that if we can just get rid of these symptoms, then you'll be free of your mental illness. And aside from this mental illness, you're basically whole. Aside from this mental illness, you're basically... Uh, um, you know, a well person. However, on the flip side, the biblical view is that every, uh, every patient is fallen and has a, a self-determination capabilities. Therefore, his or her problems are behavioral, not mental. Why do I do the things I do? Because I'm a sinner. Why do I do the things I do? Because I'm fallen. That's my nature. All right? Hey, you can... Uh, you can dress up a pig and put lipstick on a pig and clean a pig up and put him in bed and uh, you know you're in, all, in your nice sheets and everything like that. But as soon as that door is left open, where does the pig go? Goes right back to the mud. Right? That's his nature. And folks, before without Christ, that is our nature. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel that. Prone to leave the God I love. In fact, in fact, even even apart from Christ, or even even after salvation, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? Paul said. It's a, it's a battle. It's a fight. And we're longing for the day when our redemption is complete, when my body is glorified. Amen? And, uh, and the whole, uh, everything else is made right. But the, but, but the reality is this. The world says mankind is basically good that from time to time um, uh, uh, defects. From time to time has problems. God says, no, no, no. Mankind is basically evil, and from time to time they might do something good. Okay? That's the biblical view. And where do we get that? The fall of man. And that's a big part of what Romans is about, saying here's the problem with man. And what's it going back to? All the way back to Adam and Eve. Okay? Um, here's another one. Our society views the earth as inherently sacred, while this dispensation reveals earth as wholly cursed. The Bible talks about Romans 8, that the earth groans for the redemption. You know, the earth is actually longing to be made like it was back in the beginning of creation. The earth wants to be made new. It's groaning and it's longing for redemption. You know, and there are earthquakes and there are volcanoes and there are tsunamis and all this stuff. What is it? It's the world turning on itself. 
just like it did when the flood happened. He cursed it with itself, with creation. Um, the groaning of the earth will not be resolved by a UN conference. The Christian is called to, stu- uh, uh, to stewardship of the earth, but not to be a servant of the earth. You see, we're supposed to use the resources. By the way, that's why typically Christians uh, are okay with drilling responsibly. That's why we're okay with hunting. And we realize it's not natural just to be a vegetarian. God said, kill and eat. Amen? And some of you are looking forward to eating what's been killed. <laughs> right? Um, and uh, and so, so it's funny because people are like, oh, Christians, you should respect these things. Oh, we respect it. We just don't worship it. Worshiping the creature more than the creator, it says in Romans 1. Uh, we get ourselves back, you know, things backwards. So, so you, can, you, know, you can experience these huge fines and maybe even jail time for killing uh, the, uh, 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 a bald eagle egg. Right? But what's going on right now? What is the world? What does the other side say? Well, it's okay. Kill the babies. Right? Kill the baby. And what's happened? We've got it all out of order. And, and they, you know, it's, it's amazing how they want to they get rid of, um, of capital punishment. But they want to kill babies. Innocent babies. You know, and they look at us like, they, you know, like, like we've got things backwards. But what does it all come back to? A worldview. And so this helps. This is a, the early stages of developing that worldview. Um, parts of Christian society. So we're talking about parts of society that this impacts, so the conflicts. But uh, parts of Christian society, specifically Reformed theology, believe that fallen man cannot choose to do good uh, as a result of the fall. In other words, uh, here's what the Calvinist says. Because of the fall, man uh, can't do good and has no, uh, you know, th- this is uh, uh, the depravity of man. Now, I will say this, I believe man is depraved. But the level that the Calvinist takes it to is they have an absolute inability, apart from the quickening and awakening of God, to turn to God or to acknowledge the truth, acknowledge the light. We'll, we'll dive into that more uh, in the future. But, um, uh, but that's, that's a conflict that they have. Their view of salvation is this. Uh, uh, or, or, excuse me, their view of salvation in this dispensation and in all dispensations is that the Spirit regenerates the elect, and only then do the elect do anything good. The Spirit regenerates the elect, then they can respond to the gospel. Then they can do something good. Uh, but such a scheme is impossible to reconcile with the dispensation of conscience. Uh, Reformed theology assumes that uh, uh, there, there's a corruption of the conscience based on this. Um, and by the way, that conscience is, uh, is with science. It's my knowledge. It's my understanding. And so it starts to fall apart quickly. We'll, we'll, we'll dissect that a little bit more um, uh, later on. And then conflicts uh, if you remove this dispensation. So in other words, if this dispensation was not in the Bible or we didn't recognize it in this light, uh, there's a couple of problems we run into. First of all, you continue to have mankind in a state of innocence and sufficiency. They don't need a Redeemer. They don't need salvation. They don't need to be brought back, okay? They're still innocent. You fail to recognize that creation gives a, di- uh, a distorted view of origin. Um, in other words, you look around and you say, everything's supposed to be, everything's perfect. Man, man has no problems if we take this out. And then you're unable to make sense with the plot of the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, nor the purpose of the crucifixion and the resurrection. You see, all of this makes sense now because we see the fall of man. I told you I've witnessed to people before who didn't even know who Adam and Eve were. And I had to take them all the way to the beginning. Why is that important? Because we see the need for a Savior. You see, you're not very keen on getting a Savior unless you see your need for a Savior. You see? You don't call for help till you realize you're drowning. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, uh, you don't go to the lifeguard and say, hey, when I go out there, I might drown, so you want to go out there with me, just in case? No, you're going to call out when you realize, hey, you know, I didn't think this was going to happen. And, uh, and similarly, you, you don't call out for the, the, the Savior of your soul until you realize your soul's in, des- in, in danger, you see? And so that's, uh, that's, a, that's a conflict if you remove this dispensation. Um, and then how was man saved in the dispensation of innocence? Now, here's where we're going to run into some things that, that kind of get confusing. 
And here's where, where someone might even label uh, hyper-dispensationalists. We say, God, you think God saved people in different ways in different times, okay? Here's a problem with that statement from the very beginning. You don't see the concept of salvation in the Old Testament. Not the way we talk about it today. All right? And so what I want to say is this. Um, how is man saved? When, for the purpose of this study, salvation will, be equal, it will, will mean in a right standing with God that guarantees eternal life. Even the Old Testament saints, the Bible says that they were held in a holding place called paradise. See, they didn't, they didn't go directly to heaven, right? It was a holding Why? Because the Redeemer had not come. Now this is, I will say this, as a theologian, this is still kind of hard to wrap my mind around because well, aren't you outside of time at this point and, and trying to reconcile all this? And there are some things, quite frankly, we just will not know, all right? For that, I just quote Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to God, okay? But, um, but as we try to make sense of this, we, 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 when we, we want to be careful not to take what we know in the New Testament and assume those Old Testament saints understand these things. That's where I think we've gotten into trouble, okay? All we can go on is the re- revealed Word of God, what God has shown, and, and, uh, and what God has shown them. And all we know that God showed them is what had been written down by inspiration, so that's all we have to go off of. And so, so for the sake of this, we're going to say, uh, how can one be in a right standing with God? Um, and, and that's what we're going to see, especially when we get to the law and some of those things. How can we have a right standing with God? Because the Bible says this in the New Testament. Um, speaking of Jesus, it says, uh, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Question. Did anybody in the Old Testament have the name Jesus that they could call upon? They didn't. Well, the Bible says that, uh, you know, except a man be born again. Yeah, in the New Testament, it says that. Well, for by grace you are saved through faith, and I yourself is a gift of good. Ephesians said that. And so what, what I'm saying, I want to challenge us with this question, the assumptions, what did they know? All right. I'm kind of laying a foundation, especially for the next couple of weeks. But, um, um, but when, we, when we talk about this, I want to say, how can someone be in a right standing with God? Um, now, at this point, God had not revealed a promise of going to heaven when he died. Uh, from the book of Job, which is written after this dispensation, he promises a resurrection from the dead when the promised one would arrive. That's in Job 19. So there is a promise of a resurrection once the promised one has arrived. Uh, since we're not sure when this revelation was given, it is, it is possible to assume uh, that post-garden man was aware of the resurrection. Now, uh, again, that's only an assumption. Uh, as I say, question the assumption. But it is possible that they were aware of it. There's it, it, it only assumptions that we can make when it comes to Cain and Abel. How much did they actually know and understand? Was this a covering? Was this a, a sort of atonement that God uh, required of them? And did they understand that level? And now it's looking back, we can say, oh, it's so clear. Look at the picture. But did they know it at that time? You see? Uh, or were they, were they just basing it off of partial information? All right? Again, just going off what, what we have from Scripture. Um, <clears throat> the promise of life after the promised one conquered death was salvation, pro- uh, uh, was the salvation promise in this dispensation. Uh, in other words, uh, when it said the, uh, that he put enmity between the woman and, and the serpent, uh, her seed and the, and the serpent's seed, uh, is saying that, uh, that one day uh, that seed was going to conquer. Now, is that a complete revelation? I honestly don't know how much they understood of it. It's the beginning of the revelation. It's the starting place. And then each person was required in faith to follow his conscience and align with what he knew about God through revelation and Adam's experience. So there was a measure of passed down from Adam and knowing about what Adam went through, and, and, uh, and maybe even in the genealogies, um, but, uh, but that's really all we have to base it off of at this point. Now, we understand from Romans 1, the Bible says that, that nature itself declares his eternal power in God, so they're without excuse. It talks about how he's written his law on our hearts, and so there is a measure of right and wrong. Why was there the fact... Uh, or why was there the reality of fear and hiding when they realized they were naked? It was a violation in the conscience. 
You see, there's a measure of right and wrong. By the way, you can go anywhere in this world today, and you're going to find a justice system. Where does that come from? The evolutionists cannot answer that question. You see, we can't spontaneously create justice in our hearts. Well, everybody knows it's right to just not, or it's wrong to just kill somebody. Well, where did it come from? How does everybody know that's not right to kill somebody? You see? Um, so they act according to conscience and uh, Adam's experience, uh, looking for the day when the promised one would provide defeat of Satan. Now, when we talk about that promised one, we see in a lot of passages, we see in a lot of scripture, there is this great anticipation. There would be a Messiah. There would be the promised one. And then, of course, the more specific prophecies as they start to get unra- uh, uh, revealed and unpacked. Now, this, uh, this dispensation, again, is a very short one. And, uh, um, but again, we're, we're unraveling God's plan. How did we get to where we are, and how do we slice up that Bible? How do we rightly divide? And, uh, and what carries over, what new information is just true in all times? What was true for just that? And these are the questions we ask with each of them. So when we go to the Bible and we're actually reading through just a yearly Bible plan or what have you, we want to have a, 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 at least a basic level of... What, what is this as it relates to God and His plan, and what is this then as it relates to me? But, but having those parameters first is going to help us as we approach the Scriptures. All right? Um, I, I think I gave the example before about, uh, about Abraham, or Abram at the time. And, uh, and God said, get up out of your country and go to the land I'm going to show you. And, and you're reading that along. What does this have to do with me? God, do you want me to move? I think God wants us to move. Okay? And by the way, I read that over and over when I was in California. I think God wants us to move. And uh, here it is, right here. And uh, we need to be careful that we're rightly handling, rightly dividing the Word of God so that we, um, you know, one of the things that we get ourselves in trouble with is we can put undue burdens on us. God wants me to do this and this. Wait, hold on a second. Maybe he's talking to one person. Maybe he's talking to a certain group, a certain dispensation. I don't know. And I think a clear example of that is the Mosaic Law. You ever ask yourself the question, why do, we, why do we not apply the Mosaic Law to our lives? It wasn't given to us, all right? We'll get into that more in weeks to come.